In one of your interviews, you talk about a bendable screen. Whatever happened to that? So rollable and bendable displays are improving. I've seen some prototypes that are just mind-boggling. Is that right? Yeah. Imagine a tablet that's, you know, 14 inches that essentially rolls up. Some of the prototypes I've seen, though, are just amazing. And so it really is quite a bright future. This is the last episode of season one, and I wanted to do something really special. So I decided to predict the future. Well, not me exactly. I asked one of the leading global futurists and New York Times bestselling author, Sean Dubrovic, to gaze into his crystal ball and tell us what our digital destiny looks like. Hi, Sean. Welcome to Life Meet Tech. Thanks so much. So great to be here with you today. You have posted some interviews over the years that you've done at CES, and it seems like what appeared to be a prediction in the future became reality. Do you think that things are just you know, progressing at such a rapid rate that we just can't even keep up with it? I like to say that technology moves very slowly until suddenly it doesn't, until suddenly it's upon us. One technology that has been intriguing but still hasn't come to bear all its fruit is virtual reality. We just see it emerging now, correct? Yeah, definitely. I think if you think about the broader domain of extended reality or mixed reality, which is inclusive of virtual reality and augmented reality, we've seen a lot of use case scenarios. We've proved that the technology can be viable. And it really takes, for a lot of these technologies, a full ecosystem to be built out. And so we're in the process of building out that ecosystem. And, and really, that's the part of technology adoption that ends up taking so long. It's experimenting with it. It's trying it out. It's getting other people to join in. It's building out new use case scenarios. And, and that is what takes decades to really bring to fruition. And then suddenly, quickly, we'd figure out the use case scenarios that make the most sense. We figure out how to make it commercially viable. By then, price points have come down significantly. And, and that's where we see adoption really start to accelerate. And I think what's surprising as we look over the last year is that we didn't see much quicker uptake of virtual reality, considering we all went to virtual environments. I think part of the reason is because we didn't have a lot of the infrastructure in place. We didn't have a lot of the technology there. It still has a relatively high price point for the average household. But I think all of those things are coming together and will come together in the decade ahead. So, Sean, in your book, you talk about Internet of Things. And where do you think we are in terms of a connected world with all kinds of devices talking to one another? And where do you think we're headed with this? We've come a long way, certainly. I would argue that we still have a very long way to go. So my book really hits on this idea that all of these forces were coming together. Some of these technologies had been percolating on the surface for decades. They were finally all coming together and really helped usher in this new paradigm around technology being core and, and central to how we live, how we communicate, how we work. I think as I look forward, what I see us 
moving now towards is we're shifting away from digitization and moving towards what I call datafication. So a life and a world defined by data. Much of this data wasn't being captured. It was already there, if you will. It was happening in the background, but it wasn't being captured and certainly not in a digital way, certainly not in a continuous way, in a systematic way. Now we're capturing a lot of that information and it's going to allow us to redeploy it in, in entirely new settings and ultimately from all of that, create entirely new services, entirely new businesses will be born out of all of this information that's flowing. With the emergence of 5G, now what happens to the Internet of Things? I think of 5G, like so many of these technologies, as a core ingredient technology. So in and of itself, it has some interesting implications and some interesting use case scenarios. But where it really is powerful is that it is an ingredient to so many other technologies and it empowers so many other technologies. While we tend to focus on a lot of these technologies from our own vantage point, from the eyes of a consumer, something like 5G has some really interesting implications for the industrial economy and for the industrial internet. I think there's some really interesting value propositions for enterprise companies, for companies that are manufacturing things, plants, facilities, and it really changes their ROI. So it makes certain things possible that weren't possible before, or certainly weren't commercially viable before. So it's changed ultimately the arithmetic, the mathematics behind the investments that companies can make. And I think that's going to drive productivity gains, not just for the capital that these companies are putting into place, the machines that they're using, but also for the people. It's going to make the workers more productive. It's going to change the type of work that we do. 5G is just one of those technologies that I think is going to play that role. But it's ultimately a number of technologies coming together to redefine what that future looks like. So in this future, let's assume that we are in a world where 5G is widely prevalent, Everything, Internet of Things is booming. Most all devices are connected and they're talking to one another. And we've addressed some of the ethical challenges of AI and privacy and data governance. In a world like that, I was wondering how does a person's day unfold in this utopian techno world? Well, I think you're starting to see some of those early signs already. We're already to an environment where speech recognition has gotten very good very quickly. A lot of the devices that we speak to today, they don't maybe understand everything that we're saying, but they are getting better. And that's the beauty of artificial intelligence and ultimately things like machine learning that can improve performance over time through extra exposure and repetition. So when you think about the devices that we're speaking to today, we can imagine that we carry that paradigm forward and that we have even more devices that we call ambient technology operating throughout our household. So that might be in devices that we're speaking to, that might be multiple displays. We're seeing, for example, transparent displays improve significantly and become commercially viable. So you could imagine that anywhere where you've got a glass that gets replaced by transparent OLED displays, they essentially computer monitors. So you look out your window and you can have all of this information available to you that's available to you today on a computer monitor. If you don't like the view that's outside, you can change it because that's a computer monitor. So you could wake up to 
a beach view of Hawaii or somewhere else in the world, whatever you want to look at. So then think about our daily life and all the things that we want to have predicted for us, all of the decisions that we have to make. I think you're going to see technology play a more central role in all of those activities. What should I wear? What are the right colors for this event? What's the right skincare, you know, or other health decisions that I should make based upon the weather today? All of that information might be delivered to us through a variety of mechanisms, through a variety of different computing applications based upon known information. So it takes in the weather, it takes in our skincare decisions in the past, maybe it's taking in our our dietary decisions over the last 24 hours, and it uses all of that information to predict, to ultimately make a forecast about decisions that we should make. We've all woken up and said, oh, you know, I don't feel very good. I'm not exactly sure why I don't feel very good today. Maybe it's a Monday, maybe because it's rainy and cloudy, maybe because it's I didn't eat very well or sleep very well. Well, if we feed all of that information into a computing environment, maybe that computing environment can come up with some recommendations. Mm -hmm. And recommendations get very cheap in an environment that's infused with data and AI. I think at the end of the day, we have a tremendous amount of choice about where we want to use this data. And so I'm excited for that future. I'm excited to see where we start to bring predictions and forecasts and recommendations into our daily lives. I love it. I'm seriously challenged about fashion. So anytime the computer is going to give me tips on what I should wear that day, that would be extremely helpful, I think. But you talked about voice interfaces and natural language processing. And I think we are seeing a dramatic growth in that area, especially with the emergence of smart speakers and the market penetration that it's enjoying. But what about emotions? You think computers can read emotions and how well can they do that these days? They can't do it very well today. I think there's a lot of exploration in that space. I think what will help is, again, kind of capturing more of this data and more of this information that they can correlate emotion with certain environments. And so then they'll make a prediction about emotions. I saw a dog collar, for example. It looks like what you would expect from a wearable. It captures fitness levels and other things like that. It also has an embedded mic. And so it's using the microphone to try to assess the dog barks and then to correlate that with its mood what kind of mood it is in. Now, probably a lot of us feel like we can already interpret our dog's bark and what they need or want and their mood. But it's an interesting idea and it's an interesting application. Now, whether it's accurate, whether it works, I think is secondary to the broader picture of we're going to start to use a lot of these sensors to capture data and information and then try to assess mood. We'll try to use all of the information available. So maybe it isn't just our facial expressions, but it's how we're walking. It's how we're carrying ourselves. It's the height of our head. It's all of these information pulled together to try to make an accurate prediction. I read about Amazon has a product called Halo. Halo is a wearable and it gives readouts of a person's mood based on just voice analysis. And there is a lot of debate about its accuracy. Still, the potential for finding the bridge between computing and emotions offers interesting possibilities for the future. What about drones? So I think this idea of last mile delivery, it makes a lot of sense for drones, whether they're aerial or whether they're on the ground. And we're already seeing that on college campuses around the country. We're seeing it in some jurisdictions. It's become a popular experimentation in 
the time of COVID to deliver food via, you know, via robots that are roaming the streets or roaming the sidewalks. So I think we're going to see more there. I think getting beyond line of sight will be a very important application when we talk about aerial drones that can fly and deliver. And this is an area where 5G will be very important because right now we can do a lot of these drone activities in a 4G environment, but to really scale it and to support the density of drones that we could have in certain environments, especially around distribution hubs, you're going to want the capabilities that 5G offers. I think there's some really fun examples too. So imagine a Disney World or a Disneyland wanting to deliver something across the park to one of its guests. It could do that via drone. Maybe it's a drone that's driving there. Maybe it's a drone that flies there. But I think there's some really interesting applications. Imagine if you're in a stadium and you could have food delivered to your seat via drone. So it isn't just packages being dropped on your back doorstep, but it could be all different types of things delivered to you. Certainly, we see some really promising applications in rural parts of Africa and other places where they're using fixed-wing drones to deliver medicines and other supplies over long distances where they can deliver the goods much quicker than they could actually drive there or or they don't have the manpower to drive there. And we're also seeing what I call the second order effects of some of these technologies. And I spent a lot of time thinking about the the second order effects. It's starting to change how we think about construction, for example. We're building apartment complexes now and high rises in places like New York with drone landing pads on the balcony. So rather than having everything delivered through the front door of a 60-foot, 60-story building, you could have it delivered right to your apartment or right to your patio. Obviously, we were mostly talking about consumer applications there, but there's a whole enterprise application for using autonomous systems and autonomous vehicles especially heavy industrial applications. There's some really interesting, promising applications there too. How will this work on an Amazon distribution trip? Just take us through this. So there is a truck and it's got a bunch of packets for us for delivery. And inside the truck, there'll be a bunch of small drones. Is that the way it'll unfold, you think? Well, so we've seen some different applications. Companies like UPS and FedEx are definitely painting that vision where they'll drive a truck probably to a rural area, but you could also imagine them bringing it into a neighborhood. So they park at the front of the neighborhood and then they deploy the drones. So out of the top of the truck will fly 15 drones with 15 packages and they'll all head in different directions. And so they're not traveling over perhaps large distances in that type of example, but just over the neighborhood streets, they deliver the packages, they return, maybe they, you know, retrieve any additional packages that need to be delivered. And then the truck proceeds to the, to the next location. So you could imagine an environment like that. And obviously we're also thinking about what if we want to deliver people? And so we're seeing companies think about much larger aerial drones that could carry people, GM, and others have just recently highlighted some of those examples. So you could be delivered via drone from building to building in a highly congested city. And so there's some really interesting implications for that as well. And it gently drops you, right? It just doesn't toss you out. I but that's hope. right. It would, in, in that case, it would land almost like a helicopter. Right. These are the way GM paints that vision is it's an electric vehicle that takes off vertically, lands vertically. Mm-hmm. 
and travels quickly over relatively short distances. So the real use case scenario is moving across a congested city environment where you're trying to get maybe from one meeting to the next, you're trying to get home and you could just travel via these flying devices that move typically as a small number of people. Some of these are as small as two seats, three seats, and delivers you from one building to the next. Fascinating potential when you think about mobility. What about healthcare? particularly during the pandemic, teledoc and all kinds of virtual doctor's visits and so on have become quite common. Where do you see this going in the future? One of the things that we needed to see happen in order for a much broader adoption of some of these telemedicine opportunities was some policy changes. And we got that as a result of the pandemic, where, for example, insurance companies would pay doctors for televisits, just like they would pay them for physical visits. And I think it's got a really great potential. And we're seeing a lot of devices, connected devices that are starting to build out that space. So, you know, you could do some of those wellness checks from home and your doctor could have instant access to it. We're seeing devices that will connect information directly to your electronic medical records. So the doctor can have it there and can review it with you. I like to think that as we live longer and as we live increasingly on our own, we're going to have care providers that are maybe not living with us full time, but coming in and checking up on us. And they're going to want to connect with medical professionals and they're going to need devices and services that do that. So it isn't just that I can connect with my doctor over a Zoom call, but now I can have in my home all of the technologies that that doctor might need in order to perform a wellness check. And then we could have our prescription transmitted to the pharmacy online. They could send out a drone, have that delivered right from the comfort of your home. So there's a lot of things that I think will start to come together to really build out that broader ecosystem. It's the convergence of all these technologies that makes it really rich. What do you think about robotic surgery? Let's say someone's out there in an area where there isn't medical expertise to do a particular kind of surgery. It could be an emergency situation. It could be emergency docs from another other city or a big medical center who could be delivering treatment from a remote location. And it isn't just that those doctors aren't there, but sometimes we want a second opinion. And wouldn't it be nice if during a surgery, you could have another doctor looking in on that surgery, just making sure that everything is going well. They could see exactly what the doctor is seeing. So there's examples where AR could be really interesting in those type of cases. And there's times where machines are gonna do things better than humans. And so when there's some level of repetition or some level of precision that we think machines will be able to do better than humans, then we might wanna to turn to robotic surgery. So there's, I think, a lot of different ways that we're going to mix humans and machines together. I think that's a broader implication, a much broader picture is that regardless of what job we do, what profession we choose, a big piece of it moving forward will be interacting with machines in a much more intimate way than we have in the past. We'll be in their geographic space, we'll be right in their same environment. Whereas in the past, we really kept machines and especially robots separate from where humans were working because it wasn't always viewed as a, a safe environment to have robots swinging around in these heavy machines moving around. 
and having uh, humans in their way, now we're working much closer with humans. So I think robotic surgery is just one example of that, but I think we'll see it in lots of places. You use the acronym AR that stands for augmented reality. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Yes. Can you give us an example? Yeah. So when we're talking about augmented reality, imagine having a computer monitor built into your glasses. Also imagine having cameras built into your glasses so that everything you're seeing can be shared with somebody who is remotely viewing that. And so you could have somebody, a technician who is more skilled than you or more skilled than somebody who can help you fix a major appliance. Or if you're an industrial company, maybe it's fixing a, a major component. Think about airlines and working on jet engines. And you could have a senior technician essentially looking in on the work that a junior technician is doing. Maybe that junior technician get comes to a, a point where they're not sure what the right thing to do is. They can just ask that senior technician who's watching it, essentially watching almost over their shoulder and can make recommendations. We're seeing AR applications in warehouses. For example, a big thing you have to do in warehouses is scan different boxes or pallets. And if you could do that directly from your glasses, it could free up your hands and then create a much safer environment so you're not having to hold something in your hands. And so we found that in warehouses, it actually improves the productivity of that worker. It improves the safety of that worker. We could see lots of different places this might show up. So how do you think AR and other technologies like this will change the way we work in the future? Yeah, definitely. The great difficulties that a lot of these companies are facing over the next decade is a lack of skilled workers and a shortage of skilled labor. And especially as they have these quite senior workers getting ready to retire, a lot of these companies are going to lose a lot of institutional knowledge. They're going to lose a lot of expertise. And so I see AR as a way of scaling the expertise across an entire workforce, scaling the expertise across an entire group of workers. I think that's a really interesting application. Where I see technology having the greatest promise is in areas where we have a shortage of workers or a shortage of, of expertise. And the environment, I think, is ripe for that type of technology. When we think about the environment, we're facing formidable challenges. How do you think technologies can have an immediate impact on the environment? Well, definitely we see it with electric vehicles, obviously, and helping to lower our CO2 footprint. And those are quite complex technologies, right? These are heavily software dependent technologies in many instances. And then our next big hurdle then becomes the home. And so I think you're going to see a lot of smart technologies in the home. And again, it's all about the small things, putting a bunch of small things together to make a big impact. I think also a lot of it is we just don't always know the choices that we're making and the impacts that those choices have. And so I think that's where technology can come in as well and help educate us, help us understand the trade-offs between certain decisions, help us automate some of those decisions in ways that will lead to better outcomes and in, in this instance lead to a better environmental impact. And I would argue that this is another one of those transformations that's going to play out over decades. You know, there will be some things that we can do in the immediate future, but it will be something that plays out over a very long period of time. Because a lot of the technologies that we use today have very long life cycles. A car lasts on average, you know, 14 or 15 years. 
and has a five-year design cycle. And so it'll take some time. But I think all of these technologies will play a role. Even technologies, something as simple as communication technologies, for example, that would allow a warehouse to know that a truck was there ready to be offloaded. So today, if a truck shows up early to a warehouse ahead of its delivery time, it might just sit on the side of the road and idle and just wait to to be delivered. Uh, but now if that warehouse knew that the truck was in route or was close or, or had a more specific ETA, it could make adjustments in real time to accommodate the delivery of that truck. And so just even little simple things like that, I think can go a long way in helping the environment. And also, obviously, there are a lot of repercussions of that beyond just the environment, improving the productivity of all the workers and capital that is in that environment. Yeah, a number of exciting opportunities. But that takes us to business in general. We hear a lot about the industrial revolution 4.0. What do you think industry 4.0 is and what role does technology play there? When we talk about industry 4.0, we're really talking about factories of the future and what those factories look like. I think you're going to have a lot of these ingredient technologies playing a pretty significant role. We've already hit on 5G, which I think will have a big role there. Automation will have a big role there. A big piece of factories of the future is getting all of these dispersed pieces of equipment to talk to one another and to communicate. And already I've seen some really interesting use case scenarios. I was recently talking with a company that's working with a facility that has over 100 analog gauges And today they have somebody walking around checking all of those gauges, making sure those gauges stay within some predefined range. Recently, they equipped each of those gauges with a camera. And that camera just sits there staring at that gauge for the whole day. It also translates gauge temperature or whatever other metric is being captured into digital information. It digitizes it. And then that allows it to be read in a essentially a user interface that captures all of those gauges in one place. So now you change how all of that information is captured. So when we think about factories of the future, it's really taking it one step further and allowing those machines to talk to one another, to communicate their current state or future state with each other and allowing the optimization of all of the decisions that go on in a factory. And so I think there's some really interesting implications for Industry 4.0 as we move forward. I think what COVID has taught us is that maybe it doesn't make sense to manage just a single global supply chain. Maybe we should have regionally dispersed and distributed supply chains that we manage. So I think moving forward, companies will be managing not just a single supply chain, but multiple supply chains. And in that type of environment, it makes a lot of sense to have those factories or those supply chains talking to one another, providing transparency and other things to each other. That will come through the digitization of all of their machines, the connectivity of all of their machines. But if you think of the internet, it is the one big thing. So how do we create a robust, safe infrastructure when we rely so heavily on the internet as we think ahead to the future? So this will be essentially a 5G network that is defined by geography. Imagine it's defined by a manufacturing facility or a chemical plant or you know some other geographically defined area. And it operates just in that environment. And so it's secure to just that environment and then will optimize the connectivity across that environment. So I think that's one example when it comes to industrial applications. We've already seen companies experiment with this. 
And we've got a number of pilots where companies are trying these private 5G networks for their manufacturing facility. And they're seeing the type of results that we would hope for. They're seeing greater capital productivity. They're seeing greater human capital productivity, greater productivity from their workers as well. And so we're getting the type of results that we would hope for, which suggests that we'll probably start to see it deployed in other places in in the years ahead. And to really do that, we're going to want machines that are connected, but not tethered. So they don't have a fixed broadband connection so that we can easily move them around or adjust them as as needed. And so there's a lot of other benefits that will come from this as well. Terrific. So an untethered future for technology. What about your personal use or likes and dislikes about technology? Is there something that is on your Christmas list that you'd like Sander to drop off next Christmas? There's so many things on my wish list when it comes to technology. I'm very excited for what autonomous vehicles will do for us, whether it's delivering goods or moving me around the city. So you'll be first in line for an AV, for an autonomous vehicle, yes? Yeah, yeah. I think there's some really interesting opportunities there that changes how we operate. Well, I wish Santa brings you a nice foldable, rollable screen that you can use. So Prabhu, very nice to meet you. Likewise, sir. Thank you. And good luck with all your endeavors. You're doing amazing things. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. You guys have a wonderful day. We'll talk to you soon. Life Meet Tech is presented by WKAR in association with the College of Communication Arts and Sciences at Michigan State University. Executive producer, Melanie Paul. Audio engineer, Drew Hill. And hosted by me, Prabhu David. Special thanks to my guest, Sean Dubrovic. Please subscribe wherever you're listening right now so you don't miss an episode. And I'll see you next time on Life Meet Tech.